Hello and welcome to the Esquire Q&A podcast. Each week we sit down with a person that exhibits both style and substance and talk to them about their particular field of expertise. Previously we've talked to entrepreneurs, influencers, chefs, musicians and now our first ever artist. Alexander Hall is a London-based contemporary artist who is also known by the alias Haute de Gamme. It's a little bit hard to talk about art, which is a, a visual medium, on a podcast, so I'm going to include some links to his better-known works in the summary of this. But I would best describe his art as a mixture of playful, like a playful nod to pop art, uh, with some vivid brushstrokes, and kind of it surrounds a few recurring themes, namely kind of this whole drip effect. Again, you're going to have to kind of click the link to, to, to see it. Um, but we talk about that kind of in the podcast as well. But far from me to go ahead and keep kind of putting words in his mouth, why don't we get straight to the point and begin the podcast? Please enjoy. Uh, so Alex, thanks for, thanks for joining us. No problem. Um, so I've kind of given the guys, uh, the listeners, a little bit of an intro. Um, but kind of the first question goes into that. If you're at a dinner party um, and no one knows who you are, how do you introduce yourself? What do you say that you do? I just love being creative. So I would introduce myself as an artist because that's what I do for a living. But before that, I, you know, I wasn't a confident artist. So I'd say I just like to go and hide myself away and build stuff until I really liked it. I'd then show it off. Mm. Um, so I'd introduce myself as creative mm. and then an artist. So you said kind of before you kind of a shy artist. Yeah. You don't seem that shy now. Yeah. So what, what changed? Um, I got appreciate my work got appreciated from the age of 16, but getting certain commissions and then doing up nightclubs and then from doing up nightclubs, meeting my mentor. And then that introduced me to a different line of work, which was going from being a commercial artist to the art that you see today. Um, all gave me the confidence to kind of, you know, really, really push my ability, but mm. also my way of thinking, which isn't conventional like most artists. So I think in any aspect of people's work, you have to find your niche. Mm. And for me, I got that from finding my confidence in mm. my ability. So then kind of, we'll touch on those, but kind of when, when did kind of art like strike you? Like, did you always want to be an artist as a kid? Were you, were you good at art? Like... I always wanted to create again. Mm. So it was, it was a case of like, I think I was about five or six. I was making wooden bowls on a lathe. Mm. And then by the time I was eight, I was building the dining table at home. Mm. And then um, spending summers in Sweden, I'd build like a log cabin just for fun. Mm. And my idea of fun is using my hands to build something which mm. I hadn't seen before. Okay. So I'd like use my imagination and be like, oh, this is the things I've got. I, I can't afford to go and buy new materials. So how am I going to make this cool? So not like looking up the instructions? No, I hate that. Mm. I want to I want to think outside the box with everything. You must uh, be fun at Ikea. Yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, I, I, I like Ikea because I'm like, I already know how they, they would put that together. Mm. But for me, I'm talking more like, you know, going around a shed and just seeing random bits of wood and being like, how can I make that into like a cool coffee table? Mm. Um, and then using stuff that I've seen in magazines or whatever as inspiration, but using my flair and my disability to understand rules mm. and being like, right, do it my way. So that led on to, you know, applying for an art scholarship at my school um, at 13, which I didn't get. And I think that kind of like hit me quite hard uh, for a couple of years. I was like, all oh, right, well, obviously I'm not very good at art. Mm. 
Um, so I really concentrated on sport and I was, I was doing a lot of rugby. And after three years, a competitive rugby player at my school, which was mainly for rugby, mm. I broke seven bones. And when you break seven bones at a school that concentrates on rugby, you realize, oh, what, what else can you spend your time doing? Mm. So I went back to the um, art school and DT lab and was building stuff again a lot. And I must have been like, I don't know, 15, 16. And um, I found myself just loving it and really pushing my abilities again. And at 16, after what we call GCSEs in mm. England, I sold my first piece for about £950 to a Swedish collector that had referenced my work to an American artist called Rauschenberg. Mm. And just hearing him say that and then willing to pay the £950, which for me was the world's most amount of money mm. to go on holiday with, mm. I... Um, I kind of like pursued the idea of, you know, can I do it again? Can I get away with paying for other trips and, you know, maybe even buy my first car from selling my art? So you know, before I knew it, I left school and uh, led on to university, which wasn't art. Again, that was something a bit more creative, but mm. in a real estate manner and um, all paid for by selling paintings. Mm. So everything led to something else. But I, I feel to answer your question, I first recognized myself knowingly being an artist at 16 mm. because somebody bought my painting. So is that is that rare? Like, you know, it's almost a thousand quid for a first piece. Is that like that? Well, it wasn't the price I put on it. Put it that way. Somebody <laughs> else said, I was like, well, this guy wants to buy it. What do we charge? Yeah. And he said, you know, I don't know, a thousand quid. And I thought, yeah. well, a thousand's four numbers. We can't do that. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, at least 950 looks nicer. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, nine, yeah. 999 rather than 10. So did this guy know it was your first piece? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he literally was showing around his daughters at mm. the school mm. as a prospective parent and stumbled into the art department mm. and being a big Swedish art collector, saw my work and was like, I need that. Mm. Then the art teacher was like, oh yeah, Alex, are you willing to sell it? And I was like, well, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and then I went to my housemaster and he was the one who said, go on, try yeah. for a grand and yeah. see what happens. Um, so yeah, that was that was uh, that was the start of my um, art selling career. Well, then I guess kind of if you, so if you went to kind of uni for um, kind of non art, what did your what did, you, did your parents kind of push you into being an artist? Were they so pathetic? Were they my parents? Supportive? My parents are super creative. Like mm. I, I'm so inspired by what they've achieved, um, and they're very much self made people. They they they, they don't believe you know in, in any family, even if you're very successful, that you should rely mm. on on what your parents have done. They always said, look, if you want to do something, you want to go on holiday, you want to go buy a car, you want to go do whatever you want to do with your life, you've got to find your own means to get to that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that was the first thing I really learned from them. And actually at university, my first year, my father passed and being such a big influence in my life, I was like, bingo, I, I realized something, which was he left a mark in his mm. way, um, being very creative, building houses in his style. And I wanted to do the same, but the art market at the time, uh, no, the, the property market at the time, we were in the 2008 recession mm. and I was studying real estate and I was like, I just can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. And like I said, paying, paying for all of this by selling my art, I thought if only I could make this work. Mm. So the remaining two years of my studies at university, I, I finished my degree um, and again, I was carrying on painting and I got approached um, actually indirectly by someone that owned nightclubs. Mm. And I, I designed and basically did my first nightclub at the age of 21 
and then subsequently did three other nightclubs, which kind of led on to other. So, clubs. is that kind of designing the entire club, or designing kind of the like the art that goes in there? It was it was basically an excuse to get my art in front of people. Okay, initially, yeah. and I was using them as like platforms, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. as gallery spaces. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> I, w- I would basically approach uh, like a, a, a nightclub and think, right, I'm going to make this into my gallery, which isn't going to be white walls and boring and quiet. This is going to be big energy, mm. beautiful people. You know, I thought my art was beautiful, and I, I actually still do. That Those Mickey Mouse paintings and stuff I did back then, <laughs> I think are really cool. Um, and the, it was all about the energy and that feeling you get. So I wanted to kind of not sell an experience, but I wanted people to invest in, in, in the vibe. Mm. Um, and then... Like I said, that led on to like me creating more art, which was about positivity and and uh, holding on to things which, you know, I think is quite rare. Mm. You know, when you meet someone, you click and you have a good vibe. I think, you know, if you can recreate that and other people can understand it, it's a really, really fulfilling feeling. Mm. It's like, yeah, it feels good. So the nightclubs worked for that reason. And um, then you know budgets got bigger and they were like alex you know we've got a full venue here mm. we want you to design the staircase the nightclub mm. the dining area everything and i was like really mm. <laughs> um you sure and <laughs> and uh you know after a few discussions um you know i i got the i got the chance which many creative people would die for 22 23 and yeah did up my whole my whole club called number three in in south kensington subsequently got sold to a guy an Arab, actually, mm. and I think he uses it as his own little play pad in England. Cool. So then, um, when did you kind of like, because you mentioned kind of Mickey Mouse and obviously your, your first painting, uh, did you kind of, right from the off, did you have like, well, this is my style, or has it kind of, does it kind of morph as you kind of have gotten older and, or maybe just by the kind of the subject matter, I don't... I think all artists evolve, and yeah. you are you are what you are surrounded by, mm. no matter what you do. So the one consistent I've always had is, if anyone's seen my work, is there is a drip. There's, mm. a, there's, a, there's a continuity in the sense that I want to show the process mm. with a drip. Um, whether it's ink, whether it's spray paint, whether it's acrylic, oils, whatever. They, they have different textures. And I've loved like the freedom of saying, you know, it's, it's not that cool to like, you know, control materials and force it. Mm. And allowing the artwork to drip on a canvas or on a board or on a cart, whatever you're painting, I think actually just shows the confidence or even the style mm. of how I'm trying to portray my work, um, i.e. not control it, mm. let it go, let it be free. And sometimes it can go wrong. Mm. And that's part of the fun for me is kind of risking everything mm. I do and, and giving it a good good, good attempt. Mm. So... Um, yeah, the, the the one thing that's been consistent is is my use of a drip. But then, so for kind of those listening, uh, there's actually links. We've we've linked. We're gonna have some links to kind of some of your works. Yeah. Um, but from just listening, when you say drip, I'm thinking like you know, like just throwing paint at a canvas. But actually, your paintings are not like that. Some of them, some of them are mm. are throwing materials on a canvas, literally mm. um, from about four meters away. I, I can I can you know flick with a long stick, yeah. acrylic paint, and just get that real sense of energy mm. onto the canvas by using that effect. Um, others are you know I'm controlling spray paint, so I'm spraying paint into the base of another spray can and then letting okay. it drip from a height, and then you get that sense of you know water hitting the canvas mm. at a at a at a level. And then it giving kind of a splat effect. Mm. 
So there, there are different methods, but like I said, it is it is one thing that's always been there. Mm. Um, going back to those Mickey Mouse paintings and stuff I did in nightclubs, you know, I had I had the girls, you know, shoes would be dripping, mm. and that was just a little drip. Whereas the first painting before that, which was based on Princess Diana, mm. just a big D in the background mm -hmm. was all dripping. So um, whether it's really obvious mm. or just quite minimal, it's always been mm -hmm. there. So then kind of, have there ever been kind of revolving topics kind of around your art? Yeah, I think I like to use the environment that I've kind of been surrounded by. Mm. So, I mean, topics, some people can portray it as, as the high life, but mm. I think consistently I've tried to play on the cheekiness mm -hmm. and... Um, I don't like to take myself too seriously and mm. I, I don't particularly enjoy people's company when they're taking it too seriously. So um, the main thing I think in my art since word go is having fun and yeah. I want it to really portray on my work. So then kind of, you're kind of at a successful point in your career. What kind of mistake do you see kind of budding artists make? I mean, that's, that's an easy one is <clears throat> it's, as soon as you're not original, you are making your own mistake in life. Mm. You have to find your own niche. Mm. Um, you know, you can be inspired by other people's work and their story and how they've got there, mm. but you can't copy it. That's not art. Mm. Um, and my problem with most, you know, young budding artists who are who are studying art and you know very sweetly come to me for advice, and I think, God, how, how, you know. I'm not the one to give you advice, <laughs> but if the one thing I would say is stay original to yourself yeah. and know yourself. Mm. So understand what makes you happy and paint for that mm. rather than being like painting to sell. Mm. Enjoy the process rather than the end because mm. that is what art is, mm. not the end. So then what about kind of, kind of, we mentioned you kind of sold your first painting, uh, kind of not just in art, but kind of in all the creative fields now, there seems to be a question between, well, at the beginning, should you be working for free or should you just absolutely refuse to? What What do you think? If, if that painting hadn't kind of been sold, would you be up for kind of painting, giving your stuff away or would it be no, someone's going to have to pay for this no matter what? Well, going back to the first question, it definitely gave me confidence to mm. believe in myself to paint again. Mm. Um, you know, I think like everything, if someone says, oh, you've done well, it makes you feel good to do something. Yeah. Um, if someone says that's awful, I don't want to look at it again. You're not going to be like I'm budding to go and paint. Yeah. yeah. So the, pe the the money side, let's just put that to you know put that to the side and think right. Would I would I paint without money? Is what you're asking? Mm. Um, yes, because I was very very dyslexic at school. Mm. So my way of like trans you know talking and and explaining points would be drawing pictures mm -hmm. and annotating mm. and. And it, for instance, if if I was like going to a party or or looking forward to an event, and you know, rather than thinking, oh, that's 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 the attire that you have to go in, I'd think, right, how can I add my spin on it? Yeah, I yeah. like, I live for being creative. That's mm. just who I was, you know, born to be. So everything I do, I like to make individual to mm. myself. So whether it would have been art or whether it would have been, you know, designing cars or fashion or whatever, I know I would have done it in my way. Um, and even looking at the glasses that are on this <laughs> table, I designed these. Oh, wow. It gives it gives me great joy to be able to have that ability mm. rather than saying, oh, I need to make it look like something I've already seen. I want to do it my way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then where does the kind of, um, I was kind of fascinated by this intersection between kind of, I guess most people like films, pop culture portray this, you know, an artist works when kind of inspiration kind of strikes him. But obviously kind of 
you're an artist as a career. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be points where you need to produce a piece or you need to produce, you know, you you need to produce X number of pieces for a nightclub. Mm -hmm. What happens at that intersection kind of where, let's say, for example, you may not necessarily be inspired, but, you know, tomorrow you have a deadline. Yeah. What happens there? Well, I, I actually have grown to love deadlines because mm. without them, you know, all artists would still be doing their first painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, perfecting, perfecting, perfecting and changing. Um, uh, to answer your question, really, I think the, the great thing about being a creative person or an artist, and anyone listening will be able to r- relate to this, is a little bit of pressure is mm. quite good. It mm. puts you on the spot and it makes you realize, God, if I have to do this in five minutes, come on then. Yeah, what am yeah, I going to yeah. do? So don't be shy mm. get the material down and start and you can always adapt and change and ideas can develop mm. but if you don't start you've never got a foundation so i think that's i think that's the best way to answer that question is just <laughs> get on with it yeah um so kind of again so you you kind of doing a bit of work with the ihg uh kind of hotel group um what does that actually entail so it entailed um, a rather large commission that was um offered to me in August 2018, um, where quite literally I received a phone call and thought it was a joke. <laughs> I was like, uh, this is one of my mates. Who's, he thought it'd be funny to be like, yeah, it's the middle of summer, let's prank Alex. Um, so I, I, I was approached to kind of design an installation that would celebrate uh, 200 hotels that mm. are open around the world under the IHG brand. Mm. Um, single brand actually, which is called Intercontinental, and um, so they they said, look, can can you come up with some ideas? We we've discussed a few other ideas with other people, but somebody in the office had bought one of my mini editions off my website, okay. so they had seen my style of work and they had they had kind of referenced right, this guy could be a good fit for our brand, and. Um, when I was, you know, like I said, when I was initially approached, I thought, okay, this is a joke. And I said, put it in an email what you're actually asking me to do. Mm. And they they explained that they're opening their 200th hotel before the end of the year. And they would like an installation that would eventually go into a foyer and maybe traveled around the world mm. that everyone could reference and be like, wow, okay, this mm. is this is 200 hotels. So I actually gave them four options, okay, um, different brackets and, and different timescales and slightly different ideas. And I said, look, if you're serious, reply to this email and let me know which option fits your, you know, fits yeah. your uh, budget and stuff best. And they went with option two, and then it kind of went really quiet. Mm. And end of September, I was actually away, and I received a phone call. And again, I think since that day, I've been pinching myself because mm. it's the biggest, you know, it's definitely the biggest turning point in my career. Um, but it's also, you know, having said no to a lot of jobs, this was something that I'm really proud to be a yeah. part of. It's a great fit in terms of the work I'd done mm. for the last four or five years. And for the last six months, it's just it's just exploded in terms of in my confidence. And, you know, sitting here talking to you wouldn't mm. be something I'd done before. Mm. So um, it's, it's changed me a little bit, but it's also given me that ability to, you know, go off and do other things. Mm. And so I think everything leads on to something else. And this is something that's really given me a big... A big hooray! Um, so th- this is a big project. Can you just explain yeah. a little bit about the actual? Yeah, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to give away uh, certain, <laughs> certain things we can't talk about because yeah, yeah, of where yeah. we are. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, explaining the project without giving it away would be I. I had to reference 200 open hotels around the world. Yeah. 
onto objects, which were bottles. Yeah. And each of those bottles basically would have annotations and colors and lots of energy and the story story from 1946 of the founder one trip developing this intercontinental hotel brand and everyone that could come into the hotel whether they're eight years old or 80 years old would be able to relate and understand mm. and feel something so that was what I created mm. but um within within the three months that I had to come up with you know how to plan it and you know buy little tools to make everything happen <laughs> and put it all together it was it was amazing for me because mm. I was living on adrenaline and then by the time I actually had by the time I had to paint it I only had six days yeah, to okay. complete the whole project yeah so in six days, uh, six days and nights running on adrenaline, I had my assistant in in the studio. And we were just, you know, creating mm. nonstop. It was like, uh, it was the best feeling I've ever had in terms of my art career. And I would, I would, I would actually, I'd love to go and do something like that again. Mm. Um, but now that I've done it, you know, like every, like every addiction, I want it to be bigger. I yeah. want to do something even, you know, I want to find the next really, really, really big project. Um, so... I hope that's explained it without giving it away. I, for 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 people listening, it's probably best you look it up. Yeah. Um, and I won't be told off for yeah. saying anything wrong. So then, when you get a big project like that, yeah, does how you prepare for it differ from your kind of your everyday painting, or or is the actual kind of is it just the same, but obviously to a larger scale? Hundred percent. You have to all of a sudden, rather than just being an artist, you have to be ultra organized. Yeah. Like supremely organized with your time, materials. Which well, seems at odds to like the in my head, the artist just goes into a trance yeah. and then three days later a work piece of work comes out. Mm. No, ninety percent of my career is literally let's just get everything you need yeah. in in a room yeah. and just create. Mm. And create until I'm happy with it, until you know, until I feel that feeling. Um whereas with this, because of the scale of it, mm. this, this is two hundred times bigger than any other project I've had yeah. before. Um, this isn't a commission of one piece. This is a commission of 200 pieces to make up one enormous, enormous piece, piece that would have to be, you know, relatable. Mm. So I couldn't make it overcomplicated. Mm. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have fun with it, but I also wanted people to really see, you know, my story within it as well as the intercontinental story. Mm. Um, and again, going back to the good fit is this, this was a case where I needed to organize, right, all my thoughts, all the research. Mm. And all the time, as well as do a small film for the brand, okay, so that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that we had to, you know, help people understand who I was and why they collaborated with me, blah blah blah. So I'm filming around London whilst all planning all of this, <laughs> staying in a, in hotels to understand and and get to know the people and the brand even more, and um, and then yeah, we we'll then have a deadline just before my best mate's uh, wedding. <laughs> so so like a film, I literally jumped from the last photograph of the photo shoot and I had to drive up to his wedding. So <laughs> organized and the ability of controlling a level amount of energy, i.e. not letting myself overkick on the first couple of days yeah. and 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 keeping that momentum high and that that good that good that good vibe. Otherwise I would have been upset myself looking back if, yeah. I, if I didn't because mm. I really wanted to enjoy the experience and forever be proud about what I made. So what about kind of, is it trepidation when you kind of unveil? It's just something that, that big. And I guess is it trepidation on, because I guess there's two things. It's kind of what, what, what will your general public think? But also in this case, you have quite, you know, quite a large honestly, kind of patron, I guess. Honestly, yeah. since, since I wrote down the four options mm. um, in the initial email, I knew what it was going to look like in my head. Okay. So the trepidation was long gone. Yeah. The, the ability to actually make it was a little bit nerve wracking because of the timescale. 
Um, and, you know, just keep it, like I said, keeping that energy up and making sure it looked right to how I envisioned it. Um, but I always knew that mm. it would be, uh, you know, what I made. Mm. So I wasn't nervous about it mm. looking right. I just wanted to make sure I made it right for how I had it in my head. Mm. So what about kind of like, again, creative fields? Like, have you ever been in like a funk where you just can't kind of see what you need to do next? Um, I think we all have that. And, and that for me actually stems from when I, I got really fat for a bit. Mm. And, uh, and then I realized <laughs> exercise is so important mm. for even my creativity. Mm. You know, as soon as you hit that, what people call a uh, brick wall, whether it's, you know, in exercise, running or whatever, it's really important to just, you know, get, get outside of your comfort zone, go for a, a bit of exercise, you know, I like playing tennis. I, I like, you know, I like working out now just to keep my head level and keep my energy levels high. And I think when when the last time that hit me, I really just went to town mm. in terms of I swam myself silly and I was like, okay, now I need to just have that confidence to throw some more material back onto that canvas mm. and not be shy. And And once you start, you always have the ability to adapt and change it. But if you're too frightened to start, mm. you, that brick wall is always going to be there. Mm. So get up, get out of bed, do some exercise, feel good about yourself, and then get that feeling onto the canvas or mm. whatever it is you're making. And honestly, that is the way of getting through it mm. for me. Mm. Um, maybe other people are different. <laughs> okay, guys, it's at odds kind of, again, like pop culture tells me that, like, you know, you've got like a starving artist who's always smoking, yeah. you know, a cigarette in one hand glass of something in the other uh yeah well i was gonna say it goes a little bit at odds i'm kind of like well you know you gotta look after your mind and body to be to be doing good art well i, I am i am very competitive mm. so like it stems from like when i broke all my bones in rugby and and i like motorsport and stuff like that to to do to do to do well at anything nowadays because of the internet because mm. of the world we're living in it is a hyper competitive environment so you're never gonna succeed if you're just gonna be like too relaxed and just let it all yeah. flow by you need to take those opportunities mm. you need to jump in front of you know not the bus but you need to jump in front of things and be like no i, I think i can do this better than mm. what i've seen mm. and, and push yourself mm. and really really go for it otherwise one the world will never see it and yeah. you will never see it um it took me losing my father to realize that you mm. have to just go for it and you know um, I, I just showed you my cigarette packet. <laughs> I am, I am, uh, I think a, a surviving artist mm. in the sense that, you know, I, I had four years of nowhere to live in London. So mm. my mates were my survivors. They helped me survive. I mean, and again, that was a time which I learned so much about myself, mm. but for a lot of people that I see trying to get in the creative world or, or start off in any of their careers is it's almost a blessing in disguise to put yourself to the rock bottom mm. and 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 have a bit of sacrifice and and really you know find find your most upsetting point and let that be your fuel mm. and that therefore when you hit that brick wall going mm. back to your other question you have that kind of fear of dropping back yeah, to yeah, that yeah, horrible yeah. space that dark zone and you know, maybe I'm being a bit too open now, mm. but I think, you know, it's important mm. to know yourself. Mm. That comes from seeing the good mm. and the bad. So is that is that just kind of, again, just you, you kind of, you've struggled, so you're aware that, that, that you've done that before. Yep. And so, again, you don't want to go back there. Or is it kind of the fact that you've kind of, you've hit rock bottom, so there's kind of nowhere else to go but but up? 
Yeah, I mean, exactly that. I mean, doesn't you've answered it in, mm. in your own question. Um, and also, like, you know, I, I was very lucky growing up. I got to go to a nice school. I, I got to meet great people. And, you know, and then I, I basically lost everything. So when you have a taste of the good and not not to be materialistic, but I, I didn't I didn't want to spend my life mm. in that horrible, dark place that I was for a bit. And, you know, being upset is very counter counterproductive. Yeah. You're, you're not pushing yourself in a positive way. So I, I made a change mm. and I was like, right, art is my one of my biggest hobbies. And luckily I made it work. Mm. Um, but it, again, in, in everything you do, you need to know yourself. So mm. you mm. can't copy just to become an artist. Yeah. You have to feel it mm. and then make art. Mm. Well, kind of, you, you mentioned the internet there and the copy is quite interesting. So I was, at a, I was at a gallery opening two weeks ago. Yeah. And what struck me was that of the 150 people there, uh, most of them would pick their phone up, take a picture of the art, fire it up on Instagram. Yeah. What's your opinion of kind of like social media with regards to the art world? Is it like, like for example, if I take one of your things, I put it up, but I'm like, boom, look at this lovely piece of art. Obviously, that's kind of me going, look at this art that I've seen. And it goes up on my wall and I'm kind of getting... I know, let's say I'm not even referencing the artist. It's just like, cool bit of art. And everyone's just like, 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 like. But on the other side of that, I guess it could be a way of kind of artists to get their name out there. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I am, I'm not a millennial. Mm. Well, I don't think I am. Mm. But I've definitely, I've definitely, you know, it's worked for me, the internet. Yeah. The Instagram and everything has definitely worked. It's given me a bit more of a platform um, than I would have otherwise had with just a website. Um to answer your question, when people are taking photographs of my artwork, you know, I actually get a great satisfaction. Mm. You know, they're choosing they're choosing to spend a tiny bit of time, not not just looking at it, but to savor that moment. Um, it is upsetting that we've we've had some legal issues with people having copied photocopied my artwork, yeah, and literally tried to sell it on Instagram, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, thank God we 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 have people out there who are looking out for me, and they say, "Look, they've seen you've done well, and they just want to replicate it." And that's sad. But the, the point I'm trying to get at is, the internet is a great thing for creative people. Yeah, and it's so good that we are sharing everything, but we should also remember to know know the experience that you're living at the time is is for yourself so mm. don't always think about you know sharing it for others enjoy it for yourself um and and savor that mm. um i like to compare art to food mm. um and you know a chef once taught me he was like you know cooking's like love making mm. you can spend four hours making you know this great meal um within you know two three minutes it's all over <laughs> but it, it's 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 gifting that that kind of creative process mm. and savoring it which is really important i think if people you know want to just take a quick snap and savor it for later and have a look great but if they want to just do it to replicate and 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 you know cheat the mm. system mm. then th to be honest they're the ones who are going to be really unhappy yeah and you know i see there's no value in there's no value yeah and it's not original to them and um I don't know whether I don't know whether we're going into de decline with social media, but it is it is it is almost sad to see some people you know comparing their lives and their abilities and everything so much to others on Instagram and mm -hmm. never concentrating on their own hobbies and their own abilities and their own you know lucky stories that they have to share. Yeah. So um, you know, don't be shy. Mm. Do their own thing. Mm. 
So I guess kind of, kind of this is the easy question now. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking about kind of social media, um, how do people get in touch with you if they want to see more of your work or kind of follow your career or pick up some art? How do they? How do they go about doing that? So my 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 name's Alex Hall, but my um my platform um some people call it my alias, but I call it my brand is called Hot Digam, and um, it's www.hotdigam.com, which translates as high end or top of the range in French. Um, my Instagram account is hotdigam underscore, and um, I'm sure Tom will spell that or put it up on a link if if you can't quite hear mm -hmm. me pronounce it right. Um, but yeah, to, to explain that for a lot of people, they always say, "Oh, what, what, why do you work under the alias of hotdigam?" And for me, going back to the beginning of my stories, I I didn't really ever want to be famous or known, mm. but I really wanted my work to speak for itself. So I wanted to create under a brand name that would inspire me to wake up every day and that be my boss. So mm. it had to be something, you know, which was different and, and cool in my mind. And top of the range is basically me saying, this is my, the best of my ability. Yeah. Always compare it to painting the back of a cab cabinet. Mm. You've designed the front, you made it front, you made, it all looks great, mm. but you know in the back of your head, you painted the back for, for just the wall to see because you knew mm. you wanted to do your best. Mm. That's what Hot Degam is all about, me doing my best. Mm. Well, then, so Kai, I just skipped over this one. So second, this is the last question. Uh, what's next? You've kind of done this big project. Um, presumably, you're going around kind of promoting that a little bit. What's what's next? Have you got your next big project lined up? Is it kind of, do you, do you need a, is it chill out time now? Well, no, I'm, I'm too young to just chill out. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, so with IHG and Intercontinental, I will be hopefully doing some more um, traveling uh, mm -hmm. and some more a bit of PR work with them describing my uh, my project in a bit more depth than we have today just mm -hmm. because of where we are um so they, they're opening one in the Hayman Island in Hayman Island mm -hmm. down in Australia which is pretty cool and potentially I could be off to South Korea in a couple of weeks um in Seoul to to discuss this project there and then um yeah, then we've got summer in Europe, so that's usually not to chill out, but I spend um, August in, in southern France where where a lot of my original paintings, um, if you look on the website, were referenced mm. and, and stem from, um, and those experiences and the memories. But in May, so in the next couple of weeks, I'm actually really looking forward to doing something with Aston Martin mm. and the uh, Red Arrows. They've commissioned me to do something really cool. And... Um, Got six other commissions to finish by the thirty first of May, so oh, I'm, 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 I'm going to have a few <laughs> few deadlines to yeah, be yeah. sleepless too, um, and I can't wait. You know, for me, you know, wh when I'm traveling, I, I get to paint a little bit depending on where I am, mm. but at home, I get to wake up, do my thing, and paint every day. Mm. And it is, you know, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world because I love doing it. Well, perfect. Best of luck, and thank you for uh, for stopping by. Thank you very much, Tom. Well, that's another episode of the podcast done and dusted. I do hope you're enjoying the new format, and if you are, or more importantly, if you are not, please go ahead and let us know by reviewing the podcast. You can also get in touch with us via social media to tell us who we should talk to next. So that's all from me, and I'll talk to you again very soon next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>